<clears throat> okay, let's be honest. I think our tendency at Warehouse would be to look at the concept of a new year and sneer. And it lo- sort of like Death Cab starts out, so this is a new year. I don't feel any difference. Just another day. Well, at some level, of course, that's true. But one of the things that we do as humans in order to figure out where we are and to monitor progress and movement and identify who we are and where we're going is in the midst of the unrelenting, unremitting movement of time, we mark it. And we mark it with all sorts of moments that help us to take stock and to put markers down in our lives. It's why we do, for example, baptism. There's nothing magic in the water, but... Baptism is a a marker moment for someone that they can look back on and it reminds them of something that's true and it frames where they're going from there. Well, New Year's works that way for us, or or can, and I'm going to encourage us to use it that way this year. It's it's just another day in, in some sense, but we can use it to mark this moment and to project the direction that we want to take from here. It seems to me that one of the key factors of our life is what do we do with the opportunities we're given? What do we do with the opportunities that come before us? Do we take them? Do we squander them? What are the choices we make with the opportunities? When I was 25 and I had left seminary for a year and had interned at this big church in South Florida and quite honestly as a 25 year old it was a uh, sweet deal. I, they gave me an apartment about a mile and a half from the beach, and uh, they honestly took care of me. I joined the Royal, Royal Palm Racket and Polo Club. I actually watched polo matches. Didn't play, but watched. And uh, it, was a, it was a lovely, honestly, a lovely year. I learned a lot, and it was treated so well. Well, at the end of that year, it was back to the grind. I had about two years of seminary to finish, because I didn't have any money. I was working my way through, and I'd been offered a a job uh, for about $7,000 a year back in St. Louis, and then I would do some other stuff on the side and just sort of grind it out. And I was was ready. You know, it'd been a great year in South Florida, but, you know, life's not that easy. Let's get back to St. Louis. Nothing wrong with St. Louis. Lovely place. A little cold. Anyway, right before I left, the the lead pastor of the church I was at came to me, and he said, we'd like you to uh, finish in a year, and we'll pay for everything. We'll pay for all your schooling, and we'll give you money, spending money, um, if you'll come back in a year. You just got to amp up your schoolwork and do about a year and a half in a year. And then you can come back here, and and the salary they were offering me was somewhat significantly above 7,000, quite honestly. And again, it was back in South Florida, and I agonized over it. I did. I, I agonized. I know some of you are thinking, seriously? Yes. I agonized over this decision. Should I take this opportunity or go back to, you know, St. Louis and, you know, grind it out? And one of my friends, as I was talking to him about this, he looked at me and he was like, are you serious? Are, are you gonna, you're not going to do something stupid and say no, are you? And I realized, oh, no, actually, I'm not going to do something, <laughs> something stupid and say no. And the, the opportunity for me is a beautiful opportunity. And I took it. That year back in St. Louis was lovely. It was the first time I didn't have to work going through school, going through graduate school, and it was a beautiful year. And then back in what was a wonderful opportunity for me in South Florida, where I was there for five years, and I wonder where my life would have gone apart from that. It's where uh, I met Nan, 
in South Florida. It's where I learned a lot about what I still hold to be true about what a church community ought to be like in the midst of the modern slash postmodern world. A lot of us have those things, you know, the opportunities before us, and we have to make those choices. Make some good ones, some bad ones. And I think the m- most painful and the places for the most regret for us, though, are the opportunities that are not refused. They just sit untaken. There are opportunities that are, that are before us. We don't reject them. We just don't quite take them. Last week, we went home to see my parents, and in many ways, my parents are in their 80s. In many ways, it was some of the best times I've ever had with my dad. And uh, some of the sweetest and most poignant times. But in the end, we were trying to get them to move down here, and even to move in with us. Nan and I did a hard look at it and thought, you know what? This is their best opportunity to live together independently, to be supported to relax a little bit, to get some help, to enjoy their grandkids. There was a lot of life and a lot of joy. And at the current moment, my dad can't make the decision for, for a lot of reasons that you don't need to know about, but he, he, the opportunity has not been rejected. He just can't quite take it. And I look at that and go, uh, you know, in, in whatever wisdom... You know, Nan and I have, there's a lot of joy and a lot of life if they take that opportunity, but for whatever reason, they can't, at least right now. Those are, I think, the opportunities squandered that can plague us the most, the ones that we don't reject, we don't refuse, we just don't take. This year, I'm going to be encouraging us as a community to take an opportunity that sits before us, that most of us have not rejected, but have not fully taken. And that is to put ourselves in a position to experience a connection with God. And so in this year, we're going to be, and I'm going to talk about this more at the end of the message, doing something called Project 345, which Deirdre mentioned. It's a way for us as a community to put ourselves in a position to experience God through reading through the New Testament. When I say that, though, you're going to hear that phrase a lot. Put yourself in a position to experience God. When I say that, though, it begs several questions, certainly. One is that there's a God out there, and two, that he can be experienced, and three, that we can do something about it. Through the generations, really through millennia, one of the issues that has plagued, caused thinkers to wonder and ponder is this. What is it... What is it that's saying? What is the, the core that makes life worth living? Not what are the events that are good, not what are the fun times, but what's that core thing that makes life worth living and seems to pull it all together? And the Greeks called it the good. The Greek philosophy, they called it the good. And they said there is, there is a good life, and if we can discover what it is that gives us not some good things, but the good, well then we'll have lived well and beautifully. Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician, physicist, wrote in his book, Pensees, that this is what it was. He said, this is, this is that thing. He said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart that can be filled by God alone. And he said, you know, the answer to that yearning, what you wonder about is that your soul was made for connection with God. And apart from that, if you don't take that opportunity, that vacuum remains. 
try to fill it with all sorts of stuff, but that is the ultimate, the central connection that makes life good and beautiful. In the uh, mid part of the 20th century, in the rise of a philosophy called nihilism, which essentially said there is no meaning to life, there's no purpose, there's nothing behind the universe, there developed a sort of sense in intellectual circles, but even beyond that, of despair, which I think has, quite honestly, persisted for decades. The sense of, is there anything ultimate worth connecting to? And in the midst of that, a guy named Francis Schaeffer, who was a Christian thinker and author, he wrote a, a trilogy of books, which I strongly encourage you, pick up one, one of them and read through them. They are accessible to read, and th- th- he was b- before his time, quite honestly. In, in the first one, in The God Who Is There, he said this, to the answer, the answer to that yearning, the answer to that wondering, the answer, honestly, to nihilism has always been this for historic Christianity, that there is a personal God, he has made us in his image, and that he has communicated to his creatures. In short, as he writes in his last book, he is there and he is not silent. That there is actually a God out there, a personal God, who has sought to communicate with us and we can connect with him. It is because of that central thesis, that central message of Christianity, that I think the Gospel of John, which we're going to look at in just a moment, the first chapter, starts in a different place than any of the other Gospels do. Now, if you're not familiar, in the New Testament, there are four Gospel accounts, and that is there are four stories of the life of Jesus. Two of them, Matthew and Luke, start just before Jesus' birth. You know, they give some genealogy, and then they talk about just right before his birth, and then he's born, you know, you have the whole Christmas thing, and then they go on through his life. Mark, which is the shortest of the Gospels, starts at a different place. Mark starts in Jesus's, when Jesus is about 30. It begins with his three-year ministry. It just walks through, forgets about the birth, all that. Walks through the three years that Jesus was walking on earth and doing miracles and, and preaching and things like that. John starts in an entirely different place. John starts in eternity, and he prevents a pulled-back picture that I think attempts to answer the question, what about the yearning of the soul? I'm going to look at that today. And John is not, coincidentally, John 1 is, is the first chapter that we'll be reading in Project 345. And so if you start that project, which I'm going to encourage you to do tomorrow morning, you'll be reading the same passage, John 1. Here's the beginning of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, or has not overcome it, depending on your translation. Well, in this opening... John pulls back and he says, I want you to understand, first of all, that there is a God. And there is someone who is coming to earth who actually is that God. And and John uses a word for him, which we have translated word. And that word in Greek is logos. And logos, while means word, at the time in Greek culture, it meant quite a bit more. And here's a fun fact to know and tell. When Aristotle talked about how people communicate. He said you do it in three different modes, pathos, ethos, and logos. Ethos is who you are. You communicate out of yourself, out of the substance of who you are. 
Pathos is you communicate passion, emotion. And logos is you communicate rationality, logical arguments, reasoned thought. When John begins this picture of who God is and who Jesus is who's come to earth, he says this, in the beginning there was this being who is the core constant behind all that we know. He is behind reason and rationality and logic and form and substance. And to the Greek culture, it would have communicated a real depth to it. Not a light spirituality, but there is a God and he is a God of weight and gravity and substance. And John would go on to say that through him, everything was made. Everything that we see, nothing was made that he didn't make. And then it moves a little closer. But in him was life. And that core thing, the good. And that life was the light of men. And then in a somewhat cryptic phrase, as the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not understood it, overcome it. All depends on how you translate it. It says, there is this being, and he stands there. In a certain sense, you could end those first five verses, and you could say, okay, there is a God. He is there, and he is substantive, but he is distant. If we could grasp a connection with him, well, then there is the light that every human needs. But I'm not sure we understand him and comprehend him. But then John moves on. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. This refers to John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, yet... His own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. If you have not, uh, some of you probably here haven't really read the Bible much, probably a fair number of you. And some of you, though, who have, you notice how easy it is when you read something like this to sort of let it skip past your brain, and it's just sort of information. The true light that gives light to everyone's coming to the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which is his own and did not receive him. We're sort of banging through this thing. When I was banging through this thing, there's a verse that just jumped out at me. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. See, when I stop on that verse, that makes me think. So, the source and the constant behind all that we know, the epitome of beauty, life, entered space and time and walked among people like you and I, put his arm around their back. He spoke words to them. He looked them in the eye. And somehow, in the midst of that, in the midst of the very source of what every human being needs, People didn't recognize him and didn't receive him. Probably lots of reasons why. 
Some didn't receive him, we know, because it seemed too hard. He said statements about giving up your life and surrendering to him that people found too difficult. He had phrases that confused them, and they thought, that's too much. And there was one point where literally hundreds of his followers walked away because of something he said. Who can understand this? Some walked away because it seemed too hard. Some walked away because it seemed too easy. He seemed to walk to anybody, whether they deserved it or not, and promise them something. He seemed to, like in this very first, anybody who received him, simply those who believe, he gave them the right to become children of God. And and so some, particularly religious authorities, thought this is just too easy. Come on. Jesus has got to be harder than this. There's not enough weight to this. All we got to do is believe. There's probably a lot of reasons why people rejected the message of Jesus to them. He said, I've come to forgive you, and I've come to reconnect you with God. And for lots of reasons, people rejected that. But I wonder how many never rejected it, just didn't receive it. They never actually opposed Jesus or his teaching. They just didn't do anything with it. It sat before them as an opportunity unopened and untaken. And they let it go. opportunity is massive. See, what I find interesting in this section is it says to anybody who received him, anybody, anybody who would simply say, all right, I need help. I need forgiveness, and my life was made for you, for a connection with my God in heaven. I, I want that. He said to as many as receive that, look carefully what they get. They get the right to become children of God. Not they get to write to 30% self-improvement. Not they give a right to a bit more virtue. Not they give a right to be a more upstanding citizen. Not they get the right to be more respectable. Not they get the right to be more religious or more spiritual. They get the right to be called children of God. It's difficult to imagine relationships more intense than that. The only thing that competes with it and seems to supersede it is a husband and wife. But the relationship of a son to a father or to a mother or to a daughter is profound and deep and intimate. And the opportunity that Jesus says he is offering to humanity is that we can become children of God. If. If we'll receive it. As an aside, if you came here today Lord, for a variety of reasons, but you came in thinking that historic Christianity offered you a shot at a better life or some new practices and ways of living that would improve you some, while that may at some level be true, it's not at the core of it at all. What you are offered, the opportunity which can be taken, is for you to be his child, for you to be a son or a daughter of God and experience that connection with him forever. Well, then John moves on. He says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, 
because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It's an interesting word that's used in verse 14. The word, and now we know that when John says this, he's talking about Jesus, saying that the being, the God who existed from all eternity, became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. Literally, the word there is the word tabernacle. He made his tabernacle. He tented among us. And this goes back to an Old Testament concept. Very early, when God begins to engage humanity, what he tells the group of people he's gathered with is, build a tent. And in that tent, I will dwell with you. And it was a picture for them that God was coming toward them that God was pursuing them. And then that image would get closer and closer, a, a, a temporary tent, a permanent temple. And then there are whisperings in the end of the Old Testament that somebody would come, that God would come even closer. And here, John reminds us, this is what happened. The Word, the God of the universe, became flesh, and He dwelt with us. The true miracle is it takes another step forward. Later in the New Testament, it says that we now are the dwelling of God, that God dwells within us. And in the end of this passage, it, John says, no one's ever seen God, but God the one and only, Jesus the only Son, has made him known. That's the opportunity. He is there. He has spoken. He has revealed himself to us. And he asks us in. And so it's actually possible. It's actually possible for people like you and me to live a life where we experience a connection with God. To use an Old Testament phrase, where we walk with God. Where day by day we live in connection with us, with him. Where his presence is with us. And our hearts made for him are now in sync with him. This is the opportunity that God offers us. It's the opportunity too often untaken, even by those of us who are followers of Christ. It's the opportunity too often untaken. And so this year, what we are doing at Warehouse is we are setting our sights not on a New Year's resolution. See, here's how New Year's resolutions work. Yesterday, Somebody came to my door selling Girl Scout cookies. And we don't really want Girl Scout cookies right now. You know, we, we don't really want the, the sweets. And so we said, well, we'll take a box just because it's a neighbor. And, you know, we want to be nice. And, you know, we, and it was raining. And, you know, let's buy a box. But we really don't want the cookies. And she said this to me. She said, it's a tough day to sell Girl Scout cookies because everybody's got their New Year's resolutions. Oh, no, you're not going to eat sweets. She said, Wait till the cookies come in. In about a month, that's when the orders will come. Well, because that's how we think New Year's resolutions work, right? You know, this year, I'm not going to eat cookies. Or this year, I'm going to whatever. Quit smoking. Start smoking. No, not sorry. This year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something I knew. I'm going to stop this. And it's usually I'm going to stop this, isn't it? If we look at Project 345 as this year, I'm going to read my Bible, doggone it, it will fail. 
this year, as a community, let's put ourselves in a position to experience the God who made us for himself. And so we will take up the Bible and read it together. Not, although this might be a nice aside, not so that we know the Bible better. That'll certainly happen. Not so you'll become stellar at Bible trivia. Last night, you know, Nan said, well, what's that verse in, that says about his nurses and mercies in every day? And Mason's standing next to me, and I said, uh, it's Lamentations, I think it's chapter 2. And he looked at me like I was an idiot savant. Not an idiot, an idiot savant. He looked at me like, seriously, Dad, you just pulled Lamentations out like that. <laughs> so then he goes, all right, picks up my book. All right, Matthew 14, 4, 15, what does it say? <laughs> Acted. I said, oh, it's about the temptation of Jesus. He's like, okay. Seriously, we're not, we're not trying to learn Bible trivia. We're not trying to answer questions like that. We're trying to experience a connection with God. And so what we have here before us is an opportunity. God is there, and he has not been silent. And one of the ways he has not been silent, he's not been silent through creation and through all sorts of means, but he's not been silent in that he has given us a story, the story of redemption, the story of the pursuit of God for our souls. And so together, as we pick up the New Testament and we read it, we're reading as God communicates to us, and in the midst of that, we experience connection. And so, Project 345. Here's some of the details. It begins tomorrow, January 3rd, because the Project 345 is a project that we read through the New Testament in one year. And in reading through the New Testament in one year, it's five days a week that you read. You get weekends off, and it's three minutes, they estimate, three minutes and 45 seconds for every day. It's reading a chapter a day. It's, it varies some, depending on your, obviously, your speed of reading and how long that particular chapter is, but that's an estimate. Now, the idea of this is you read every day. And weekends you can catch up. This is what I'm encouraging you not to do. Not to go 345 times 5. Okay, that's about 20 minutes. I'll just do that all on Friday afternoon. Or next Friday. That's just 40 minutes. What what you don't want to do is do this. I want to experience God once every two weeks. The idea of it is not to get through it. It's to put yourself in a position to hear from God and to experience a connection with him. And so daily, you pick it up and read it. And I'm encouraging you to read it together. Read it with your, in your small group. Read it in your family. Read it with a friend. I'm encouraging you to read it together. And here's the ways that you can do it. I'm giving you three ways that you can do Project 345. One is online, uversion.com. You can go on there today. And by the way, you can just go to our website, click on the banner, Project 345. It'll take you there. Create a free account. See that? Go to reading plans, and then choose Project 345. Now, you can choose Project 345 Plus if you want. What Project 345 Plus is, it's the New Testament plus Psalms and Proverbs on the weekends. It's like, you know, if you want to put it on steroids, you know, P90X. (laughs) Project 345 Plus. Uh, You can do it if you want. We're doing Project 345. Read through the New Testament in a year. Click on that, and what will happen is, then you'll go to tomorrow morning, and you'll click Start Reading Plan. 
As you start the reading plan, John chapter 1 will come up. You'll read through that. When you read through it, there's a little box that says completed. You check that, and then we'll show you your progress, which, let's be honest, after one chapter, is not going to be a lot, but there will be progress. And then the next day when you click on it, click on your reading plan, plan day 2 will come up. Now, if you miss days, the correct day is going to come up, but we'll give you the opportunity to go back. Just, um, no, don't wait two weeks. So that's one way you can do it. Another way you can do it is you can do it on your mobile device. Whatever mobile device that you have, go to uversion.com slash download and pick the best one that fits for your player, and then you can do it on your handheld, your iPhone, your iPod, your smartphone, whatever. Or you can go old school, do it the old-fashioned way, with a book. And on the seat where you are is this, Project 345, which gives you the actual plan for the first quarter of the year. And so you'll look at Monday, January 3rd. I'm reading John 1. You can just do it this way and then grab one of these and check it off with a pencil. doesn't matter how you do it. Pick a way to do it. Why? The greatest regrets in life are the opportunities untaken left sitting fallow, never cultivated. Together as a community, we want to experience a connection with God, which is actually for us, and is the core of what makes life full and beautiful. I'm encouraging you to take a step in. I'm encouraging you to start getting prepared for it today. So that tomorrow morning, it begins. As you begin, let me make a suggestion. Whether you do it online, on your computer, whether you do it in a journal, I'm encouraging you every day to go, be ready to write something down that you read, that you saw. Just like when I said in that John chapter 1, that verse stuck out at me, be prepared for God to show you something which will jump out at you. Because the goal is not to read through the New Testament. The goal is to experience your connection with God. Let's pray. Lord, would you lead us as a community? We want to experience the connection for which we were made. Which brings with it life and light and the depth of soul and joy and beauty for which you designed us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead each one of us to push past the reticence, the reserve, even the rejection, and to take up and read. We believe as we do so that you will meet us in the midst of that. The changes that will happen, we don't yet know. The desire of our heart is to live in fellowship with you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we begin this time of worship, it is a response. Much like John chapter 1 begins with, this is who God is, and he has approached us and made himself known. Now we have to turn and face him and respond. Our worship is an attempt to do that. And so we always begin with our, with our offering, which is a way for us to frame that concept that God is the pursuer, and we respond to his grace. It's for you, but, you know, occasionally I'll be singing a song, and I don't get it. For years, when I, wherever the song was like, you're beautiful to God, I, I found it uh, confusing at best. And, and then I read what Thomas Aquinas, a medieval philosopher and theologian, said, is that beauty is that which attracts when we gaze upon it. 
And then he extrapolated that to who God is, that God is the one who, when we gaze upon him with the soul, it attracts, it draws us to him. The whole point of Project 345 is to gaze upon the God who is, and as he draws and attracts our soul to that for which we were made. As you begin that process, if you don't have a Bible, we have some in that between the two kiosks in that long column. But if you would like a Bible that I think is the most accessible in terms of layout and things like that, I really like this one, the Quest Study Bible. The reason why is it's written like for normal people who have questions. And so along the side, it asks questions. Like when you see a passage where it'll say something like, the Word became flesh, and it's like, why do they call them the Word? And it explains it. And so it's, it, I, I love this, this uh, Bible. It's in the New International Version, which is just one of the more popular versions now, but it's the way it's laid out. Very accessible, very readable. And if you have a, a child under the age of 10, let me encourage the kids' quest. The language is a little bit simpler, and uh, it's laid out for kids. So, and you, you can, well, I'll put those in the back so you can pick one up and order it. And uh, if you leave the copy there so other people can see it, that would, that would be great. Um, but, uh, you know, along the line, as you start Project 345, let's say you go into version and you look at all the different versions of Bibles. It includes, like, Bulgarian 1890 and Slavic, and I wouldn't use those. But other than that, it doesn't matter. I use the NIV, the New International Version, because it's the most popular. And so I know most people will have it. But on the screen, sometimes we have the new uh, English translation, and it, it doesn't matter. Pick any version that you like. Use King James if it works for you. But there's American, there's a lot of English translations. In the end, it doesn't matter. The point is, pick it up and read and ask God to meet you in the midst of that. Today, if you are um, wanting to know how to connect a little more to Warehouse, whether you're here recently or you've been here for years and just never felt like you connected to the community, Entry Point is designed for that purpose. And so after the service in our a gallery, you go through the coffee room, the galleries in that end. Um, so people will be there and they, they'll answer questions for you and, and help you to understand a bit more. If you want to take the next step into Warehouse, what does that look like? What, what are the places you can do that? There's a lot that goes on at Warehouse outside of Sunday morning. Entry Point will help you give, it'll pull it back a little bit and give you a glimpse of some ways that you can go in farther and connect with people and connect with the community as a whole if you want to. I, I strongly encourage that if you're feeling any level of disconnection to the community here. Uh, entry point right after the service in the gallery. We uh, at Warehouse, we participate in two different homeless ministries, and one of them, you, you probably hear more about Family Promise, where we bring in whole families for a week at a time in a, a collaborative with other churches in order to move people back into homes. But we also do something called Room in the Inn, and Room in the Inn is essentially, we're trying to get some guys off the street for a night and give them a hot meal and a warm place to stay and, and some, you know, companionship, some people around. And it, it's a totally different type of ministry, very helpful in just offering some kindness to some men who could really use it. And so if you want to participate in that, we, we do that every Sunday night starting next Sunday night. And there are opportunities throughout March for every Sunday evening if you want to be a part of that. And you can do it by providing meals or by staying overnight or by simply uh, spending some time there. But if you want to be involved in that, which I strongly encourage, you just email us at room at warehouse242.org, ask questions or say, I'm ready and want to serve in this particular way. Today, if you would like uh, someone to pray with you, we would be happy to do that. 
And you can take that opportunity by going past that white wall, first door on your right, into our prayer room. And some people will sit down with you confidentially, talk with you about anything you want, anything that's going on at all, and uh, help you to have a moment to connect with God about that. If you just want to give us a prayer request, you can do that by filling out one of the orange cards on the two kiosks over there, and then drop them in the yellow boxes as you leave. My last encouragement, Project 345. My prayer is that every one of us get up tomorrow morning and begin. It'll be an exciting process to see how God meets us in the midst of that. Now, if you would please stand and receive the benediction. May you walk out today knowing the opportunities before you. An opportunity that's not small or insignificant. The opportunity to connect with the God for whom you were made. To walk with him every day. May you know that the Son of God came to earth, took on flesh, lived, died, and rose again for you. And the moment you received that, you became a child of God. And from that moment forward, you have the love of God your Father, the grace of Jesus that covers over all of your sin, and the presence of His Spirit in your life. Now go in peace. Peace that's true.